Well, again, good morning and welcome to Wilshire. We are glad that you're here, and if you're watching us online, we're glad that you're joining us, and we hope that someday soon you will feel comfortable joining us again. Technology is a blessing, but it's not the same as being here in person, is it? Uh, but we are glad that you're able to join us today. And it's spring, such a wonderful time of the year, unless you have allergies. And uh, there are some people suffering with that today, and a lot of other things. You've heard us pray for Jim and mention Jim. He is better, that's my understanding, right, Yodi-ish? He called on Friday afternoon and said, I'm better, but just to be safe, I think he may have made the right call. You know, as preachers, you think, I'm going to push through, and then Saturday night comes, and you realize that was a terrible idea. And then you got to call the next guy up, and they think that was a terrible idea, too. <laughs> so uh, I'm grateful Jim called Friday afternoon. But anyways, that means you're stuck with me. But we're looking at 1 John this morning, and I invite you to 1 John chapter 2, where we're going to look for just a moment today. Anybody following March Madness? Anybody got a bracket that still looks anything like you planned it to look at this point? It's probably shot. We're, uh, some of you don't care about March Madness. You don't even know what it is. I won't call names, but there are some people who's clueless and they're happily clueless about March Madness. But... For non-sports fans, March Madness is a reference to the NCAA men's basketball tournament where they're chasing the national championship. You start out with 64 teams-ish, and you kind of whittle it down until you get now to the Elite Eight. Are we at the Elite Eight now? Yeah. And, and what everybody likes to do is they like to watch for the underdog, the Cinderella team, which this year is St. Peter's comes 15th seed and they're beating everybody. They're the giant slayer this year. And, and so we start rooting for teams we never knew existed before this. Well, you probably don't remember, well, if you're a basketball fan, you'll remember this. 1976 was the date of the last basketball team to go undefeated from the tip-off of their season to the NCAA championship. And it was the Indiana Hoosiers. When they went into the championship game, at halftime, they were down 35-29 to their nemesis, Michigan. And so, if you're the coach, and you got to go in at halftime, what do you say? This unstoppable team is down to Michigan. And you got to give a speech to try to fire them up and get them back in the game. What do you say? Well, Indiana's coach that year was Bobby Knight. Bobby Knight was not exactly known for his gentlemanly, calm reaction to things. He had a reputation of sorts. And so when they went in at halftime, everybody thought Knight was going to come in and who knows what he would throw. <laughs> who knows what he would say. And to their shock, Bobby Knight walked in calmly. And as they retold the events of that day in that championship game, they said, Bobby and I just walked in. He said, look, guys, you're in the process of throwing away something that you've worked for all year long. And you're wasting something that you will remember forever. And then he said calmly, if you guys want to make history, 
and be one of the greatest teams of all time, you've got 20 minutes to go out there and prove it. You have one shot at forever. Well, it worked. Indiana walked out, and at the end of the game, it was 86-65, to and Indiana's perfect season was intact. And no team since 1976 has gone undefeated. Now, it might shock you to know that I never really played organized sports in school. Why is that funny? I was in band. But I, so I didn't, I didn't listen to halftime speeches, and I didn't listen to the pregame speeches. And, but I've seen them in movies. And when I read about them, I'm always impressed about how do you motivate a group of people who's facing so much, who has so much on the line. And Bobby Knights is one of the simple, successful stories of a good halftime speech. So you may be wondering, what does this have anything to do with 1 John? Listen to these words again, and tell me what this sounds like to you. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men... Because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. What does that sound like to you? To me, it sounds like a halftime speech from John. It sounds like he sees the church struggling, and he knows what's going on around them. And John pauses his letter or sermon or whatever this is. And he grabs him by the scruff of the neck and says, you need to focus here. You see, the words of this section come out of nowhere when you look at the flow of 1 John. And and lots of people, we're not sure what 1 John is. It's not your typical letter. You know, you read some other letter of Paul. It says, Paul the Apostle to the church in Ephesus, or Philippi, or Thessalonica. John doesn't start that way. It doesn't feel like a letter. There's not a signature, I write this with my own hand. It just starts out of nowhere about what he has seen and touched and handled. And, and the letter moves differently, or this, this book moves differently than anything else we've seen. But then you hit chapter 2 and verse 13 in this short section here, and it really sounds different because it's repetitive, almost poetic. He talks about children, young men, fathers, and then he repeats all that again. Children, young men, fathers. One second he says, I write to you. And the other second he says, I have written to you. And then through these three verses, he just keeps repeating himself. Your sins are forgiven. You've conquered the evil one. You know the Father. You know Him who is from the beginning. You are strong. The Word of God abides in you. You have overcome the evil one. This sounds like a halftime speech from John. And we know that the people to whom John writes this, that they are struggling with people trying to convince them. 
that what they have built their life and faith on is not actually true. You see this through the rest of the book, that in this community, John keeps saying, love one another. You cannot claim to know God and hate your brother. And it sounds like there's something going on in this community and in this church that people would you worship with, the people who you're supposed to be on the same team as, that they're, they're mistreating, they're dehumanizing, and they're abusing one another. And John has to say, you have to love one another. And sure enough, when you read the rest of 1 John, you find out that there were some things going on and being said in that church that was causing some of them to face discouragement and doubt. In chapter 2 and verse 18, John says, there were people claiming that Jesus did not actually come in the flesh. Think about that. How much of your life is built on that truth, that Jesus Christ came in the flesh? And then someone comes in and says, that's not really true. Or chapter 1 and verse 8, there are people walking around claiming they're without sin. Well, you know what your life is like. You know your, mis- your mistakes and your failures and your sins. And so to see people over here saying, I don't have any sin, might make you doubt yourself. And the same people who claim that anyone who struggles clearly is not a spiritual person. And for all this time, John has been trying to say the opposite. John has been saying, we know Jesus came in the flesh. We heard him. We touched him. We felt him. And John has said that the Christian life is not defined by sinless perfection, but by walking in the light as Jesus is in the light. And John has said, we do sin, but we have an advocate the Father, with the Father. And our relationship with God is built on that knowledge that God works through the life of Jesus. And our faith is demonstrated by walking as Jesus walked. And on top of this, John has not pulled any punches when he talks to people trying to disrupt this church. The foundation of their faith was more important to John than the feelings of the false teachers. Listen to that again. The foundation of their faith was more important to John than the feelings of the false teachers. You know how I know that? Because when people said, I haven't sinned, John says, you are a liar. And for people who claim not to sin, John also said, you're saying God's a liar. And for people who claim that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, John says, you are the very definition of the Antichrist. Well, John, you you can't just go around saying that. You might hurt their feelings. He didn't care. You do not mess with the foundation of people's faith. And so here's John writing this letter. And this church, these, these Christians who stuck between all of this. People over here saying everything you've heard and believed is not true. And John over here saying, here's what we know is true. And these people are just trying to be faithful to God. And so in the middle of this, John gives this halftime speech. That's how it reads to me. 
That's what I think is going on. When you find yourself stuck between these competing messages, it leads you to wonder whether or not what you believe is true. It's discouraging. And it has the danger of driving people away from God and away from the gospel of Christ rather than pulling people back into fellowship. So before I show you this halftime speech quickly, can you relate to that? Have there been other voices around you this week or even longer trying to convince you that your Christian walk is just a joke? That being a Christian just means you're naive or you're gullible or you're just wrong? Have you looked at the same, have you looked at the way some people who claim to be Christians don't live up to that calling? They just don't walk as Jesus walked. Or maybe there's someone in your life who claims to have it all figured out, who thinks they have no sin and you know your own weaknesses and it makes you feel like you're not really saved. So if that describes you this morning, I want you to lean in and listen to John's message. Little children, I'm writing to you because your sins have been forgiven for his namesake. You see, false teachers were trying to convince them that since they had not had some powerful, mystical, emotional experience, they didn't know God, and they were still stuck in their sins. Unless you've had what I've had, unless you've seen what I've seen, unless you've experienced what I experienced, bless your heart. You're not really saved. You're still in your sins. And maybe it wasn't just the false teachers convincing them of this. Maybe it was something in their own mind making them think, there's no way God could ever forgive me for what I've done. Now, that was John's audience. But maybe you're like me, and you've grown up going to church your whole life, listening to sermons your whole life. And you hear other people talk about their conversion to Christ and what a, what a big thing it was and what a major change it was. And you step back and you look and you say, I've never had that experience before. Everybody thought I would become a Christian. Everybody expected me to become a Christian. And when I became a Christian, that was good, but there were no fireworks. There were no cannons. There was, it was just, that's what would happen. But there are some people, what a story. And you may be thinking you don't have that impressive of a story. That's somewhat what John's writers were experiencing. And John says, you're equally forgiven. You have been forgiven in Christ Jesus. There's a preacher who posted a message last week that said, stop living like you have a rap sheet. And then citing Hebrews 13, he said, God said, I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. Do you believe that or not? Quit walking around as if something greater should happen to you, as if something more high and impressive should happen before God does what God said he would do. John says, listen, little children. And that's not a, 
That's not a put down to them. It's a phrase he uses all throughout the book to refer to the church. He says, listen to me. Don't let anyone convince you any, any different than this. Your sins are forgiven. And when anyone around you tries to convince you that you haven't done enough, you haven't, you haven't said enough, you don't believe enough, your sins are forgiven. And when anybody tries to convince you that, you're, that your past is too heavy, that, that you haven't overcome enough, that your story isn't impressive enough, John says, listen, your sins are forgiven. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And some people here this morning need to be reminded of that truth. Because you're letting other voices tell you otherwise. You're letting other people argue otherwise. And you're letting your own conscience suggest otherwise. And John says, you listen to me. Your sins have been forgiven. John has been trying to tell them this since the earliest parts of the book. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of his son Jesus continually cleanses you. And if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father who prays on our behalf, who was our atoning sacrifice. So when anybody comes to you and says, nope, sorry, that's not enough. Or when you stare in the mirror and you remember all the mistakes and failures you've had in the past, John says, you listen to this. Your sins are forgiven. Now go out there and live like it. He says, your sins are forgiven on account of his name. Not yours. Not your achievements, not your story. Your sins are forgiven through what Jesus did, not through what you might do. You see the difference that makes? You see why we have to be reminded of that? Because if we buy into this lie that, that Jesus' sacrifice is only some temporary offering for our past sins and mistakes, we'll miss the point that John is making. Don't let anyone, if you are in Christ... Convince you anything other than your sins are forgiven. Now, fathers. There's debate among scholars about whether these are different groups or whether John's just doing this to rhetorically catch their attention. Young men, fathers, children. Whatever it is, the truth goes across all spans of faith. Fathers, you have known him who is from the beginning. You're familiar with the saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Our salvation in Christ is built on who we know. Someone had been questioning the identity of Jesus. John tackles that later in chapter 2. It's likely the same people who claim Jesus didn't come in the flesh, that Jesus wasn't who you're who the Gospels say he was, someone who the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Some people were saying that's not really true. Jesus was some weird, ghostly, phantom, disembodied spirit. And the fundamental claim of the Gospel is that God came to where we are, wrapped himself in flesh, and faced every temptation that you and I face. 
And John has repeatedly said, listen, Jesus, who was from the beginning, entered creation that he made. If you know Jesus, you know the one who was there when it all began. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. That's why this truth is so central to John. People will sometimes claim, even in our culture and context, Jesus was a really good teacher. Jesus was a really good rabbi. Jesus was a really good philosopher and a savvy sage. That's not what the New Testament says. The New Testament says Jesus was God in the flesh. The New Testament says Jesus was from the beginning. Don't ever let someone convince you that Jesus fits in the, on the shelf with all other philosophers and thinkers of any age past. He is so much more. And so when John writes to the fathers, he says, let me remind you, you have known the one that is from the beginning. Not just another guy out there. You know the one who spoke and it all happened. You know the one who put on flesh and lived among us. You know the one who's seated next to the right hand of God, even as I write this to you. That's who you know. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. If you're connected with Christ, you're connected to the source of all knowledge and all power and all hope. And John reminds his listeners, this is what you know. Don't let anyone convince you otherwise. This is who your advocate before the Father is. Don't believe anything different. Then John says, I'm writing to you, young people, because you have conquered the evil one. Now, this isn't the first, John, the first time or the last time that John has mentioned this thought. In chapter 5, verse 18, he's going to write, We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. And back in his gospel account, he records the words of Jesus on the night that Jesus was going to die. I will not say more to you, for the prince of the world is coming, but he has no hold over you. Or when Jesus prayed that same night, he prayed, Father... My prayer is not that you take them out of this world, but that you protect them from the evil one. John says, we already know how this ends. You have overcome the evil one. And my suspicion is, maybe they felt sometimes like that wasn't true. And that we, like them, also doubt it. Because the same temptation keeps tripping us up. Because the same failures are still there. And the harder you try, the harder you fail. 
But John says, you have overcome the evil one. That's a reality. I like the phrase that you sometimes see. The next time Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. John says, we know how this ends. You have overcome the evil one. It's not maybe, not possibly or could be. We have overcome the evil one. Do you know someone who likes to record sporting events to watch later? And, And when they do this, they try to avoid social media or news or any conversation of it at all so that they can go home at the end of work or at the end of their busy weekend and watch it as if it's unfolding in the present. I don't like doing that. Drives me up the wall. Instead, I like to know how it's going to end before I start watching it. Some of you guys, uh, our youth group goes down in, in, used to be in October, we go down to the MOVE conference. And last year during the MOVE conference, a youth event, they were, it was the OU Texas football game. Cliff, I hate to bring up a sore spot. But when this game started, it was 28-7 to by the end of the first quarter and not in the Sooners' favor. It was ugly. I thought it was a nice work of charity to let Texas think they had a shot. And then we watched. We didn't get to watch the game because as, as, the, as the move conference went on, we had to tend to spiritual things. <laughs> We had to listen to preachers sing some songs. So we didn't get to watch the whole movie but there, or the whole game. But before the last session of the day, it was the fourth quarter. OU had scored. They were going for two. And they were showing this on the big screen right before we started worshiping. And the moment OU snapped the ball, they killed the feed. And we didn't know how it ended. We didn't know if they got the two. We didn't know what happened. The guy running the booth doesn't like OU. He's a sore OSU guy. He didn't want them to win. But I got the scoring update on my phone. I was still worshiping. I was just making sure it wasn't a member of Wilshire in distress or needing help. And it just happened to be the score. Worked out okay. But let me tell you, when I went home that evening and I was watching the highlights, I was not nearly as nervous watching that game. Because I knew how it ended. That's what John is saying. You have overcome the evil one. We know how this ends. We've seen this play out. When Jesus walked out of that tomb, the evil one was crushed. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Not your experience, not your feelings, not false teaching. We know this to be true. You have overcome the evil one. Now get out there and live like it. Quit living like we're in doubt. Quit living with uncertainty. Quit letting false teachers dictate what you think and feel. You've been forgiven. You know the Savior from the beginning. And you have overcome the evil one. I think that's what John is doing in 1 John 2. You remember when you were a kid going to the circus? There was this moment where the High Line Act, when someone would walk across this wire that was stretched 20 feet in the air, 20, 30, 40 feet in the air, 
And sometimes the really crazy ones will, will stretch a wire between um, high-rise buildings. And they'll walk across it. And they'll do it blindfolded. Or they'll do it with something on their shoulders. For too many of us, we view salvation like a high-wire act. Like we're creeping across this wire. And at any moment, we take the wrong step and we'll plummet to our death. Like any breeze can throw us off course. Like any misstep will mess us up for eternity. John has a radically different view of your position in Jesus. You are not on a high wire if you're in Christ. You are not just begging not to misstep. John says if you're in Christ, when you walk in the light, His blood continues to cleanse you. And when you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. You have been forgiven. You know the Father. You've overcome the evil one. If you are in Christ, you are not on a high wire of salvation. You are standing on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. You can walk away from that, but you don't just stumble off of it. That's John's message at halftime for the church he writes to. If there is anyone here who needs a good halftime speech for your faith, here it is. You've been a Christian for a long time, and you may continue to struggle with the same things. John says you've been forgiven. Maybe you've been a Christian for some time and you see other people, friends and family who used to be and they're walking away from the faith. John says, you know the one who's from the beginning. Or maybe you haven't been a Christian for very long, but the world keeps trying to pull you back. And John says, you have overcome the evil one. So go out there this week and live like it. In the name of Jesus, we offer the invitation of Christ to come into the light so that you can walk in the light as he is in the light and his blood will continually cleanse you of sin. And the New Testament says we do that when we meet him with trusting faith in baptism, where we come up out of the water a new creation, walking a path of faith and trust and in the light of Jesus Christ. And we offer you that invitation. If you need to take that step today, we invite you to come while we stand and sing together.